All right, let's read. Uh, Colossians 1, 21 to 23, it says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. A complacency. Complacency. It's a word we're going to focus on this morning as we dive into God's word together. Uh, Webster's Dictionary, a handy dictionary you can find online now. You can just plug that word right into Google. Webster's Dictionary defines complacency as this. Self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers. We can summarize complacency in a, in a few words. Uninformed satisfaction, uh, blissful ignorance, not being aware of what's going on around you. Is complacency a flattering term if someone says you're complacent? Not necessarily. It's not a flattering term. Often, oftentimes followers of Christ can, can look at all the threats that the world has to offer. We're on guard against lust in our hearts. We feel that we may vote with the, maybe the political party that we feel best fits our Christian values. We watch the news trying to be aware of the ways that the government may be encroaching upon our, our religious freedoms. We call out the glaring sinful lifestyles of our worldly culture. And yet we, we may have little regard for what I think is one of the most dangerous behaviors evident in our society. And unfortunately is evident within many of our churches. It's that word, complacency. Complacency. I think we have the big things nailed down. And yet, in reality, we are complacent in the way that we live our lives. We're falling asleep about the most dangerous tactic of the enemy. Becoming complacent. Becoming unaware. Honestly, I don't think our greatest worry is, is some pagan religion, whether it be Islam or the cult of Mormonism or maybe liberal socialist politics that so many Christians are grieved by, but rather it is the complacency of what I would call the newest American religion. Now this isn't some official American religion, okay? So don't go online and Google this. It's not going to be in the census that's coming later. But I would say there is a merging, a new religion in America, or has emerged. The new American religion is what Many well-respected modern pastors such as Pastor Matt Chandler in Dallas, Texas or Pastor Ray Ortland just south of us in Tennessee. And they call it these three words. And I think that this religion has emerged from a complacent culture in America and complacent Christians in church. They call it this. Follow along with me here. Moralistic, therapeutic, deism. Moralistic, therapeutic, 
deism. Right? So moralism, so being good, therapeutic, make me feel good. And deism, deism was the belief that God created everything and then spun it into existence and then he is far from his creation, not intervening. So moralistic, I need to live a good life, I need to feel good about myself, I need to be happy, and God's there when I need him to. But he's pretty distant, just kind of watching things. That seemed to kind of sum up uh, American culture in a nutshell, I would say, for the most part. It might sum up even some of our, our churches. Matt Chandler summarizes it this way. He says, The idea behind moral therapeutic deism is that we are able to earn favor with God and justify ourselves before God by virtue of our behavior. He says this, he says, This mode of thinking is religious, even Christian in a sense, in its content, but it's more about self-actualization, what I can do myself, and self-fulfillment, about me finding fulfillment for myself. And it posits a God who does not so much intervene and redeem but he just kind of basically hangs out behind the scenes. Cheering on your you-ness, he says. And hoping you pick up the clues he's left behind to become the best you can be. Don't we look around and see that a little bit in our culture? Here are, are some of the tenets of this, this new religion that we see emerging Summarized by, by Pastor Ray Ortland in his book called The Gospel. Number one, a God exists and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. I don't disagree with those things, right? The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about myself. God does not, number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in my life, except when I need to call upon him to resolve one of my problems. And then, people that are good, mostly good, go to heaven when they die. Do you guys see this permeating our culture? Do you notice something that's absent within this religion? Jesus. Christ. Grace. Mercy. It's all about me. It's all about what I bring to the table. It's all about me being good. And when I need God, He's there. He's my, my genie in the bottle, and I just rub Him, and I ask Him my request, and He's going to fix the issue that I messed up. But here's the reality of what Scripture teaches us. And the Gospel clearly portrays. It's our first point for this morning. Verse 21. If you want to write this down. Without Christ, we are enemies of God. Without Christ, we are enemies of God. Where do we pull this from? I didn't make it up. I didn't just pull it out of the sky. God's Scripture says this time and time again. Says this, uh, Paul says this in verse 21. He says, once you were alienated from God and were, what? Enemies in your minds because of, what? Your evil behavior. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And see, this is where complacency permeates into Christian culture because we don't want to say this. Because it's offensive. 
And everybody wants to feel good, but we don't want to tell people that apart from Christ, what are you to God? You're his enemy. You're in opposition to the God that created everything. This flies in the face of, of the new American religion. We look at point five that I, that I read earlier. Good people go to heaven when they die. How many times have you heard this? If you're relatively good, then you get to heaven. But Scripture teaches us something else. Paul, the Apostle Paul quoting a psalm in, in Romans 3.10, he says this, There is no one righteous. What word could we put for righteous? Good. There is no one good, not even one. There is no one who understands. He says this, there's, there's no one who seeks God. And he doesn't just say this, he's drawing this from the Old Testament Scriptures and quoting this to this church. And he says this, all have turned away. Without Christ, we are enemies of God. And so, in a sense, we bring no goodness to the table. He uses this word alienated. In other words, apart from Christ, we were isolated from God. And why? Was it because God alienated us? Was it because He drove us out? No. It was because of, of humanity's choice to disobey God that led us to be His enemy. You see, God created us in perfect relationship with Him. The first couple, Adam and Eve, in the garden, in God's presence, and yet they willfully disobeyed God, being aided in this disobedience through the, the deception of the enemy, Satan. We were enemies of God. Apart from Christ, we are enemies from God. You may ask, why do we keep talking about our condition apart from Christ? We've hit on this point a few times since I came to the church it's the beauty of what I call expositional preaching. When we go verse by verse, I didn't choose the topic this week. God did. How is the next set of verses in the Bible? That's why it's dangerous to, to bounce from place to place to place. We go verse by verse. What is God's Word going to teach us? So that I can't skip over things that I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about this every week, but God's Word does. So we're going to talk about it when God's Word presents it to us. And we must constantly be reminded of who we were apart from Christ. So that we can be grateful of who we are in Christ. We must constantly be reminded of, of who we were apart from Christ so that we can be grateful of who we are in Christ. Because of the danger of what? Complacency. We will become complacent in our walk with Christ if we don't realize the great chasm that He has crossed for us to bring us into relationship with His Father. 
The work that He completed on the cross. Being reminded of our our status apart from Christ reminds us to not be complacent. Do you think there's an emphasis here this morning? You guys are going to walk out of church saying complacent, 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 complacent. We also don't want to fall into self-righteousness. I don't remind you that you are an enemy of God to place a burden on your back. I remind you because we want to be humble, gracious, and merciful followers of Christ. Not self-righteous, not leaning on our own good works, but leaning on the works of the One that came to save us, Jesus Christ. Self-righteousness is one of the greatest enemies of our souls. We see Jesus very directly attacking the self-righteous leaders, the Pharisees. I think we can agree as we read through the Gospels, He was not very gracious to the self-righteous people, was He? He called them a brood of vipers. Not a very endearing term. When we begin to think that we deserve something because of of who we are, that's self-righteousness, and what we've done instead of who Jesus is and what He has done. We want to be reminded constantly of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Each and every time you read the Scriptures, I want you to focus, who is Jesus and what has He done for me? And then later on, we're going to get to how does that affect the way I live? It should never, ever drive you towards self-righteousness. I'll tell you that. Because there's no more humbling of message than someone coming to you and saying, you can't do it on your own. You needed Jesus. You needed Jesus' righteousness to cover you. And with that, I think... It's the greatest guard against complacency when we focus on Christ day in and day out and what He has done and who He is. Our hearts will grow more and more in love with Him. Ephesians 2, 1-3, if you want to turn in your Bibles, just a couple pages to the left. This passage, uh, Ephesians 2, kind of parallels what we're talking about this morning. And so we're going to be flipping back and forth. If you want to put one finger in Colossians and one in Ephesians, we're going to go back and forth this morning. Paul says in this letter, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, what? By nature, deserving of wrath. We were enemies of God, doing our own thing. It's God's Word that says these things. I'm not making this up. It's God's Word speaking to us. We can't become complacent in this message to ourselves. 
that I was far from God and that he has brought me in and he has reconciled me through the sacrifice of Christ. It's only through the work of another, Jesus, that we can be saved. Which brings us to our next point, the good news. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, that was the bad news, now the good news, right? Here's the good news. With Christ, we are at peace with God. With Christ, we are at peace with God. Verse 22 says, But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Aren't those beautiful words? That as we move through this passage, it says what? You were enemies of God, but through Christ's physical body, so Jesus physically coming to earth, carrying out the work that we could not carry, through His, his death on the cross, He has what? He's presented us to His Father, holy. Holy. And if you didn't know what that means, he describes it without blemish and free from accusation. Isn't that amazing? That God in his, his love and His mercy took me, an enemy, and He moved me over here through the righteousness of Christ, through the perfect life of Christ, through His, his death on the cross, brings me in, and He presents me holy without blemish and free from accusation. Everybody in the, in the room should be smiling right now. That's amazing news. Jesus has reconciled us. That is, if you don't understand that, He's restored us. He has made us new. And it's not through some, some distant decree. He's not far from His creation. He's engaged in His people's lives. Remember, our, our new religion is that there's a God and He watches over us. But the reality is, is that there's a God and He is active. He is active. He doesn't just watch over us, but He acts and He intervenes in His creation. And how do we know that He is active? That's all we have to do is look back 2,000 years ago. By Christ's physical body, He acted. He came to earth. That's all we have to do is look around the room. To know that, that God is active because God has had a part in transforming your heart. If you're a follower of Christ, He has given His Spirit to you that you can respond in faith to His Son and give your life to Him and receive His righteousness and to be holy without blemish, without accusation. We can think of it in in legal terms, you've been declared not guilty. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of everything that Jesus Christ has done. Looking back to Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, it says this, But because of His great love for us, God who was rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. 
And he says this, it's by grace you have been saved. It's by grace that you have been saved. The beauty of that language is that he sets death up against life. You were dead in your transgressions, but now you are alive in Christ. I love that at the last church I worked at, anybody that got baptized, we made them a shirt. And on the back of it, it said, dead to sin, alive in Christ. Isn't that a picture of someone being dipped under the water and brought out? Dead to sin, I'm laying that old way down. It's going in the grave, and I'm being brought out, covered by the blood of Christ, alive in Him. We understand the depth of God's love for us and the, and the richness of His mercy through the, the physical life of Jesus Christ. It's because of, of grace we are saved through faith. A work that is, is not of us, but of God's action Himself. We are made right before the Father because of the action of Jesus. Jesus was active. He was not complacent. He acted in history. God did not just sit and wait and say, Oh, I hope this whole thing works out. I hope they can figure it out. I hope they can get together. I hope they can follow my law. I hope they can do their part in the covenant. No, God came Himself out of heaven. He left His throne and He walked on this earth to present us holy and without blemish. It's amazing. He acted in history. And as such, now He moves us to action. We don't just stop there. Christ's sacrifice on the cross, if you are in Christ, moves us now to act in a different way. Brings us to our final point this morning. When we continue with Christ, we will be holy before God. When we continue with Christ, we will be holy before God. Verse 23, Paul says this, If you continue in your faith, he calls our faith what? The next two words, established and firm. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. There's an interesting phrase in there. If you continue in your faith, I want to begin with this. I believe strongly in the Scriptures there's, there's evidence that there's assurance of salvation for those who are true saints and true believers in Christ. That those that, that are God's truly called people will endure to the end. Theologian N.T. Wright says it this way, From God's view, genuine faith is assured of continuing to the end. Genuine is the key word. But here's the thing. This is the thing that we're troubled with in the church. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that within the church there's people that come and go. There's people that come in and, 
they seemingly profess Christ and they may get baptized and they may act like a Christian for a certain period of life and then trouble hits and they're gone. It's the difference between what I would call counterfeit faith and genuine faith. And I want to assure you, if you are a genuine follower of Christ, you will endure to the end. Because God's Spirit is inside of you. He will not let you go. You are a child of God. God doesn't fail. And if God wants you, He's going to hold on to you. But the bottom line is, is that the Scriptures teach you have to continue on. Many times Paul speaks of it as a race. You have to finish the race. And again, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, this thing's a marathon, it's not a sprint. As you can tell from my body, I've never run a marathon, right? I had to turn sideways so you could get the full picture. But I could imagine if I ever did run a marathon... That there's going to be ups and downs in that race. It's going to be a grind. It takes a lot of training. There's a lot of things that go into that. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I want to encourage you in that because some of you in this room, and I've been there, and I'm going to be there again probably eventually because faith is like a roller coaster sometimes. You beat yourself up time and time again because of the ways that you fall short. Lift your head up. Look at your Savior. We can lean on what He has declared us, holy and without blemish, without accusation. But Christ is also calling you for something better than just that. He wants you to finish the race. He wants you to keep on running. And the beauty of Jesus is that He's going to come alongside you in that marathon every once in a while. He's going to throw you on His back and carry you for a period of time. Until you get your legs back and then you can finish running. From God's view, genuine faith is assured of continuing to the end in those who have genuine saving faith. Genuine faith is, is evident in the life of a true follower of Christ. How is it evident? Your life should look different now than it did before you were saved. And I'm not talking about just surface transformation, but rather transformation that's occurring within the depths of your soul. You see, the Pharisees were really good at being outwardly righteous. But did their soul line up with their actions? This is a question for you. Soul transformation. Do you love God? Here's the second part. Do you love other people? Do you love God? Do you love other people? I talk to people about Jesus. I talk to people about their their faith out in the community. And they say, well, I love Jesus, but I can't stand His church. I can't stand the people who call themselves Christians. Here's the bottom line. You can't, be a, you can't be a follower of Christ if you don't love God and love people. It's both. 
They work together. Someone saying that would be, you see, the church is the bride of Christ. I've heard it illustrated this way. If you went up to a man and said, hey dude, I like you, but I can't stand your wife. What do you think they're going to say to you? Get out of my face, right? And that's what people say when they, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like his church. It's full of messed up people. You can't have one without the other. Do you, do you love God and do you love people? 1 John 2, 3-6, it says it this way. It says, we know that we have come to know Him if what? If we keep His commands. It says, whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands, John uses strong language here, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But, if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete. You hear that word complete in them. John doesn't just leave it there. He gives us clear instructions. This is how you know. He says, this is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. How do we continue on in the faith? How do we know that we are walking with Christ? John tells us, we must live as Jesus did. How did Jesus live? Jesus sums this up perfectly for us when the religious leaders asked Him which of the commandments is the greatest. How do we live like Jesus? He says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's number one. He says this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love others. He finishes with this statement. I love this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Church, don't become complacent. Ask the question, do I love God? Do I love others? If you want to live like like Jesus, understand this commandment. Love God. Love others. The beauty of this is is that we're not on our own. We're spirit-empowered. Because sometimes it's hard to love other people. But God gives us His spirit within us to, to walk with Him, to be able to love other people. Love God. Love others. Paul summarizes, we'll, we'll finish in Ephesians this morning, Paul summarizes the promise of a life in Christ. Ephesians 2, 6-10. If you continue on in your faith, I'm not reading just yet, so look up. If you continue on in your faith, you guys are like, man, I don't know what translation he's reading out of. It doesn't line up. I tricked you. If you continue on in your faith, look at the promise that we have here in Scripture. Now you can look down. 
says, and, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. And here's the evidence of this in verse, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in, in Christ Jesus to do good works. And we don't even get credit for those because what does it say? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Church, very simply, walk in light of His grace. Walk into the works that, that God has set before you. And then as you walk into those good works, give credit where credit is due. Time and time again, it was Jesus. It was Jesus that did that. I'll tell you this, it's only by the grace of God and God's Spirit that I can come up here and share the Word of God with you. It's not me. It's because of Jesus. God prepared this, this work in advance for me to walk into, and I give all credit and honor to Him, and all glory to Him. But here's the thing. God doesn't want you to walk into complacency. That's not a work of God. Don't become complacent. Be aware. Be on guard. Dive into your life in Christ. Don't just take it for granted what Jesus has done, but walk in light of His work. Love God, love others. That's why we must be constantly reminded of, of where we were apart from Christ. Because I know in my life, I have to be knocked down a couple notches every once in a while. Start missing your own shortcomings. Start thinking you're a little bit better than what you are. And I have to go to Scripture and be reminded, you know what? It's only because of God's grace that I am where I am today. Because I was His enemy, but in His loving kindness, He brought me into His family. We must be constantly reminded of, of where we were apart from Christ. And be grateful for the peace that God has given us as a gift through His Son. And if we have that church, I am confident that you will endure till the end with that peace. That you have full assurance of living all your days in light of Christ's grace in your life at work. I'm confident that your work in Christ will be more meaningful than anything else you do in life. It's not just some mundane task, but you're, you're working for the Lord of the universe. Everything you do will matter. You'll have peace when you continue in your love for God and for others. And as we finish this morning, the beauty of, of this church is that we receive communion each and every week. And one of the things that this does, I was thinking about this this week, one of the things that this does is it guards against complacency in our faith. 
Because how can I come to the table if I'm not dealing with things in my life? How can I come to the table and receive the Lord's Supper if I don't look in my life and be reflective of what God has done? Some of you may be wondering in this room, and I know because I've received questions, why do we have communion now at the end instead of the middle? Because I want you guys to receive the Word. I want you to hear the Word. I want you to hear Scripture. I want you to hear the Gospel. And I want you to be confronted with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross before you come to the table. So that these things are not just a ritual, it's not just something we do every week, but each and every week you can be reminded of where you are at and where Christ has brought you. And you can walk and you can act and you can look at those things and you can say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving me these things that I can remember the sacrifice that you made for me to cover my sin. There's a reason that we do it this way. And it's not to say that when we did it in the middle of the service, it was wrong. But there's a reason. I want you guys to hear what God has done for you each and every week. That we may never take for granted that we can come to the table and we can receive communion with Him. That we can search our hearts and we can investigate and say, God, where am I falling short? Not so that I can, I can bear bricks on my back, but so I can hand them to you. And you can shower me with grace, and I can receive this, the bread from this table. And I can receive the juice that reminds me of, of your blood that was spilt on the cross to cover my sin. What a privilege, church, that we get to engage in that each and every week. We get to do it because of Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that we have to reflect. We need to be reminded that we need to respond to God. And so this morning, as you come and you receive the elements from the different stations, remember, remember the sacrifice of Christ. I want to urge you, take some time. You don't have to be in a hurry. Where is God stirring in your life change and transformation? Where is God stirring in your life that you need to, to put your hand up to heal a broken relationship? Where is God stirring in your life that, that darkness that you have hidden in the corner? There's nothing more freeing than coming to the table and saying, God, forgive me for my sin. I hand this to you. I lay it at the foot of the cross. You receive the, the bread and the juice and remember His sacrifice. Fathers and husbands... Lead your families in receiving this. Take them off to the side. Pray for them. 
Receive it together. If you need prayer this morning, there's going to be leaders spread across the front of the room, out on the sides. You can go to them and they'll pray for you. We're a church. We want to help you carry your burdens. Take it to them. If you're sitting in the room and you've, you've never made a decision for Christ, the Spirit's stirring within you, The Spirit's moving. God's at work. God sent His Son to cover your, your sin. That's all you have to do is place your, your trust, your faith in Him and His work and what He's done. If you've made that decision this morning, you can come forward, you can receive communion, and then stop and talk with one of our leaders. And they'll pray for you, and they're going to walk you through what the next steps are. What does it mean to become a Christian? And then after all of that, during the last song, we're going to receive an offering together that we can give back. We can give to God's mission. That we get to give to God's mission. That we can give cheerfully. Again, reflecting on God's grace and mercy and what He's done for us and being able to give back a little bit to His church and His mission. Let's pray.